0: I'm I'm gonna speak very strongly about uh, traditional marriage and why it's important. And as I do that, I'm aware that really the majority of adults today have participated in one way or the other in a divorce. And I'm not gonna qualify my statements. And I understand that uh, people are single sometimes because it's not their choice. You may be a widow or a widower. It may be that you're the victim of a divorce and there's not a, a type of person I respect more than a single mom. And I, I know this, that even though we're gonna talk in God's ideal ways of what his plan is, whatever situation you're in, our God is able and strong to do miracles in your situation. So you're not deficient uh, and you're not a person who is is unable to receive the blessings of God because of your current situation. Uh, God is able and he can work miracles. But I wanna speak strongly to all of us as we evaluate the marriages we're in right now, or for those of us who are single, the marriages that potentially could happen in the coming years. Before we do that, I need to tell you a little bit about my marriage. I, I take for granted that all of you know who my wife is, but our, my wife is uh, our worship leader is what I was gonna say. And this is Beth Allison. Beth, could we stand? I wanna honor you. Come on, you stand, say hello. This is my wife. And Beth is a great wife and a great pastor's wife and a great mom. I could not say enough positive things about her. And and we are having a blast right now. Uh, Our marriage is is very strong and we praise God for that. But I will tell you this is, we have not always had an easy time in marriage. And there have been some rough, rough seasons in our marriage, even while we were pastoring and leading and, and ministers. Because here's the deal, just because you're in a leadership position or just because you're a pastor or just because you're a 242 leader or just because uh, you have the reputation of having a strong marriage doesn't necessarily mean your marriage is strong. And so it was, there was a time when I made a foolish and immature vow to myself. I said, I'm never going to preach on marriage because I didn't think I was doing a good job in my marriage. Beth and I got marriage counseling and that really helped us. Uh, and I thank God for the counselor that the Lord led us to. And I thank God for the place we're at today. And I remember uh, telling my counselor, who is one of my closest friends now, uh, that little immature vow I made, I said, yeah, I'm not gonna preach on marriage anymore. And he went on to tell me, he said, Aaron, there's a very, very small amount of people, couples in the world that are really uh, compatible, that uh, just don't have problems, that don't have issues. And he went on to say, those are the people who like to teach and preach on marriage. So uh, he went on to say, the fact that you and Beth are transparent and open actually will be helpful to people. So I thank God for this opportunity to speak to you because I know Satan uh, doesn't want me to preach on marriage because the enemy wants to uh, think that you're alone and that you're isolated and that problems in your marriage, you're the only one, you're the only one going through a tough time. The truth is, is that God has a plan for your marriage or your future marriage. and uh, God has a plan for that, for it to be strong uh, and for it to weather the storms, for it to overcome adversity. And you're not alone in the challenge because he wants us to have marathon marriages that last and go the distance. I'm involved in weddings uh, throughout the year. I'm involved in a lot of weddings and officiating or attending them. And I've seen something that's really changed in my lifetime. Uh, 30 years ago, weddings were pretty simple. Um, They would have them at the church and after, the, the wedding in the church, they would go back to the multi-purpose room and have a sheet cake and play some music on a boom box. You don't remember those days? Now, thanks to uh, Pinterest and Instagram, weddings are events now. I mean, they are complicated and they are um, artistic and they are full of trendy decorations. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I think that ceremonies are important. You know, Jesus did his first miracle at a wedding. So whether you have a simple or complex wedding, I don't think that matters. That's just a personal preference. What does concern me is there's all types of effort about the wedding ceremony, all types of preparation towards the ceremony, but not much preparation for the covenant. And that's the purpose of marriage. I'm gonna give you four different action statements today that are going to help us relook at marriage and help us understand God's plan for our lives and for our community. The first thing, the first purpose of marriage that I wanna talk about today is that when we, when we uh, are married, we are remaining in covenant. We are remaining in covenant. That's a word we don't use a whole lot, the word covenant. But it's a very important word because if you don't understand what covenant means, then you don't understand God's plan for marriage. In the most simple terms, a covenant is a loving agreement between two parties. Two parties agree, and they agree upon something uh, that usually lasts for life, that is a bond for life. The Bible is full of covenants, all types of covenants. There's covenants between uh, countries that, that we call treaties. There's covenants between parents and children, the birthrights. There's all types of different covenants between friends like David and Jonathan. And these are not just uh, uh, simple, uh, simple arrangements. These are men and women who um, in the relationship are in the country's relationships are saying, we are committed. We, we are giving you our name in the essence of who we are to be bonded together. And nothing can separate this bond. And this happens all throughout the Bible. And especially, especially God has a covenant with us. And that is a powerful principle. That God has a covenant through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through his blood, that God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. God has promised not to abandon us. God has promised not to change his mind about the salvation we have. We have assurance of salvation because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the new covenant we're in. We have a guarantee from God that we can count on. When we can't count on anything else, we can count on God. God said that even to the ends of the earth, the, the place of uncertainty, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the covenant that we're under. So it is, that marriage is a covenant, a covenant between a man and a woman and a covenant before God. It's a, it's a covenant that, is, um, that has a power like none other because it includes both the horizontal covenant between a man and a woman, but simultaneously it includes a covenant before God. And so it is that your marriage is a covenant with your spouse that simultaneously is a covenant with God himself. That's a powerful place of agreement. That's a powerful place of agreement that you're in agreement with a spouse and you're in agreement with God. So now God is speaking to a religious people in the book of Malachi, and he's correcting them for a lot of wrong things they're doing. And we're gonna pick up right in the middle of this corrective word through Malachi. Malachi chapter two, verse 15, uh, excuse me, 13 And this is another thing you do. Uh, You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning. So this is a very emotional, outwardly expressive people in worship. Because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. Yet you ask, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have acted treacherously against her. Though she was your marriage partner, and here's the phrase, I want you to see this. I, I underlined these phrase, and your wife by covenant, okay? Not your wife uh, by arrangement or not your wife by just a preference or not your wife just for a season. She is your wife by covenant. Now, moving on into the scripture says, didn't the one God make us with Didn't the one God make us with a remnant of his life breath? And what does the one seek? A godly offspring. So watch yourself carefully and do not act treacherously against the wife of your youth. It's a powerful scripture because often in 2014, we kind of whine and lament on, oh, it's so tough now and it's so tough to, uh, Keep your marriage pure, it's so tough tough not to have a no-fault divorce or not to participate in infidelity. And we think, oh, it's so tough. But four to 6,000 years ago, uh, God is warning the people, watch yourself, watch yourself closely. And that's why messages like this are important because God is saying, hey, watch yourself, watch your marriages and community of God, church of God, watch each other's marriages I want to say that those of us who are presently single, and it very very well could be that you're called to be single, that is a spiritual gift for some. Uh, If God's given you the desire to be married, it's likely he's called you to be married, but there are some who are called to be single. But those who are single by call, are single uh, by their present situation, uh, you have an equal responsibility in God's community to uphold the covenant that is happening in the marriage. Uh, You're to be an encourager. Uh, You're to encourage your friends' marriages. You're not to get between the marriages of other people. You're you're not supposed to participate uh, in infidelity. And if you're single and you're in relationship, uh, an adulterous relationship with someone that's married, that's adultery. Adultery is not just for married people. Adultery is for single people too uh, who are breaking who who are inserting themselves into a covenant, a covenant between two people and God. So that's the issue, it's a covenant between two people and God. Now, how do we look at marriage? Uh, We naturally look at marriage, not as a covenant, but as a contract. And that's a wrong way to look at marriage. Here at the church, we have contracts with several businesses. Uh, One that comes to mind is our pest control company. Uh, We signed a contract, we pay them a very small fee because we have lots of kids around here during the week, during the help program. And so there's little graham crackers and goldfish all over the place. And we want to keep out ants and roaches and rodents. So uh, we signed this contract with the pest control company and they get a small fee. And because of that, they come and they, they come once a month and the door opens to the office. And often I'm there, I hear them say, Is any problems happening? We'll say no, there hasn't been in many, in a a few years now. They'll walk the building, uh, put out the different pesticide or or the different appropriate traps or whatever the case is, and and that's how the contract works. They get money, we get a service. Uh, If there is a month where they don't show up, I'm not going to pay them any money. If there's two months that they don't show up, the contract's over, it's done because we're not gonna pay the money for no reason. Now, unfortunately, instead of looking at marriage and maintaining a covenant, our culture looks at marriage as a contract. Uh, we sign some kind of paper with the state and register a paper with the state of Tennessee. And the deal is this, is that as long as our spouse uh, are meeting their obligations, you know, they're, they're doing chores around the house and they're, um, you know they're they're keeping a job, and they're keeping physically attractive to us, and they're being an emotional support to us, and they're making us have a happier life. As long as our spouse is doing that for us and fulfilling their contract, then everything's okay. But if the other spouse doesn't fulfill their contract to us, what do we do? Uh, we just file some paperwork through a lawyer, and just say, yeah, we're done. We're out. So it's a contract, it's a financial transaction. It's, it's a legal transaction, excuse me. Guys, this is, this is not what God intends. God is calling us into a covenant. Uh, that's what marriage is. Whatever state you're in now, whatever state you are in marriage, are preparing for marriage, God wants you to see your current marriage or future marriage as a covenant with another spouse, and with, excuse me, with your, your spouse, and with God, before God himself. So it is, there's a, a Christian pastor who's a wonderful author, uh, wrote one of my favorite books on marriage, actually called The Meaning of Marriage, Tim Keller, and he, he breathes up this point. To break faith with your spouse is to break faith with God at the same time. That, that changes that changes the equation. Uh, It's not just about us violating our spouse, it's about us violating a covenant with our spouse and with God simultaneously. And we need to hear this. We need to be reminded of this. We need to hear God's word towards our marriages and not the changing opinion of culture. And God's word says that, man. we, We are covenant keepers in our marriage in other people's marriages, that's what God wants us to do. Now I've had the opportunity to to pastor a few years now and and most of my congregation has been younger, empty nesters and below, not a whole lot of senior citizens even though I love having senior citizens in our church. I, I hope we have more senior citizens in our church as we mature as a church. But I haven't, I've been able to go to a handful of golden anniversaries. 50 year anniversaries. And can I just tell you, if you've been to one of those or participated in one of those, there is just something so right about a 50 year anniversary or name your year, a 30 year anniversary or a 15 year anniversary, whatever it is. There's there is just something satisfying. There's something um, affirming to celebrate with a couple a milestone in their marriage. And I believe one of the reasons why is that uh, God has our hearts resonate with longevity in marriage because that's his original plan. His original plan is for marriage to be as long as we both shall live. As long as we both shall live. That's his original plan. And when we when we are participating in a marriage that has longevity and, and whatever marriage you're in or will be, that's just the time ahead of you. So if you're married three years or 34 years, that, that the next year and the next decade means something. Sticking with it means something. And here's the second observation or action point I want us to make is that when, we mar- when, we're, when we're married, we strengthen society. This is something that's often overlooked. Because we just think marriage is about our individual needs. Now, originally in the Christian faith, when all Christians were part of the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, this is a good thing, they consider and still do marriage to be a sacrament of the church. So it's something as spiritual as baptism or communion and marriage is a spiritual act. We as Protestants for several hundred years, we have had a belief that the purpose of marriage is for the whole world, the whole society, the whole community. Uh, Everybody benefits from marriage. Everybody wins when there's a Christian marriage. And and this has been the mindset. And so it was that uh, Christians traditionally have seen marriage not just as personal fulfillment, even though there is fulfillment in that. But Christians have traditionally seen marriage as their duty to society, to marry and to build a family and to uh, be a source of stability. And so it is that government and culture has always been concerned about marriage because marriage has been the sustainability of cultures. It's been the only environment by which children can be properly nurtured. And so it is, I know it doesn't always work this way because of the circumstances of life. But when we choose that way, children are raised best when they have a mom and a dad. There's something special about a mom and there's something special about a dad. And when a mom and dad are, are, are living under the leadership of the Lord, children are raised best because there's strength in both genders and strength to that. But around the 1700s, or 1800s, something uh, called the enlightenment happened. And many good things came from the enlightenment. But one of the ramifications of that, we begin to think about ourselves as individuals, not just as a participant in the community. And and many good things came from that. The founding of America came from that. But when it came to marriage now, we began to filter marriage as how does marriage make me feel? Am I happy with her? Am I fulfilled with him? And so it is that when that is the basis of our marriage, romantic feelings and sentiments, then then when things do go wrong, which they will, I mean, inevitably, if you stay with someone over six months or over a year, uh, there's gonna be an illness. There's gonna be unemployment. There's gonna be... um, your pipes are gonna freeze, right? The car is gonna break down. It's not gonna all be a honeymoon. When the basis of your choice for marriage and your mindset for marriage is personal fulfillment, then when the negative emotions come, man, then you you just wanna bail. You wanna break the contract. But that's not what God intended. That's not what God planned. He planned for long-term relationships and covenant under his leadership. And what happens is this: that is the social stability, looking beyond even particular religion, religious beliefs. Because you know we believe here Christ is the only way to heaven, but knowing that other religions that value, value traditional marriage and and marriage covenant marriage, um, those make morality, those, those make society more moral and, and and cause stability to happen. And that's why, that's why. It's so important that we understand our marriages matter. I, I want you to know this. Your marriage makes a difference in the strength of this church. Whether or not you stayed married makes this church either stronger or weaker. Your marriage makes a difference in the neighborhood and in the community that you live in. Your marriage your marriage is, is a determining factor on the strength of our culture and society. So don't be, don't be selfish and just say, well, if I'm not happy during this era of my life, I'm gonna try someone else out. If I'm not happy, I'm gonna bail. Now let's look at that from a much higher godly perspective. Now, up to this point, I've talked about like duty and society and covenant. Those don't sound like very fun words, do they? Well, there is a great... Fulfillment in marriage, too, that can't be overlooked. One of the things I love when it happens is when I'm around town and going out to lunch, and I've been known to go out to lunch in Hendersonville a time or two. I've done that. I know how to do that. And I bounce into you and your spouse somewhere in this city or somewhere in Nashville. I know a lot of you don't have that opportunity because of your schedules and. You don't, you're you not able to do that. But for some of us who have some flexibility and, and have the means to go out to lunch, it's always nice to bump into another couple at lunch because lunch is kind of disposable time, right? Lunch is, uh, you're gonna see your spouse later on in the day anyway, right? So, you know, why bother doing it in the middle of the day? Well, there's something positive about that. And Beth and I try to do that, you know, we, we, once a week. We probably do it every 10 days or so. Uh, there's something cool about seeing you guys with your with your spouses, and here's the reason why. I, I think a third thing that we do, the purpose of marriage is this, is growing in friendship, growing in friendship. Now, this is something now we're more used to this language. We understand this better, uh, but you need to remember something, that when the Bible was written, uh, that women did not have the rights that they have today. Unfortunately, This has nothing to do with the Bible. It has everything to do with the culture of the day. The women of several hundred years ago uh, were considered property of the men. Uh, They were considered uh, someone to help a man get a financial advantage. So there was a dowry or there was an inheritance when they married. And so this idea that a female was only there to assist a man and was only there to... um, help his life become better. Some would say they would be considered property or maybe not even much better than a slave. But the Bible gives language, language that was revolutionary for the day, that elevated the role of a spouse in a husband's eye or in a wife's perspective. And we see this in uh, one of the examples is in Proverbs chapter two. Proverbs chapter two is talking about why we need wisdom Uh, to stay out of infidelity and to stay out of affairs and things of that nature. And wisdom is it. It, Wisdom will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a stranger with her flattering talk, who abandons the companion of her youth. I want you to think about that phrase for a second. And forgets the covenant of her God. So we go back to the covenant language there. Uh, There's, again, this... Biblical concept of marriage as a covenant before God. But look at that word companion. Uh, that word is a Hebrew word, a very unusual Hebrew word. Uh, I think it's pronounced Aleph. At least it looks that way in English. And you can see that there. It's a, uh, a Hebrew word meaning special confidant, our best friend. So here it was in ancient Hebrew literature. Uh, they're talking about a spouse being a confidant, or a spouse becoming a best friend. And I want you to realize this, is that your spouse, who you're in covenant with, your spouse that you will be in covenant, for those of you who are single, uh, is called to strengthen society, is called to maintain the covenant, but your spouse is called to be your confidant. Your spouse is called to be your best friend. And that is... That is what God's called us to do. Now, I've, I've seen on many wedding invitations these last 20 years, and I think it was on Beth and I's wedding invitation to, uh, also, a phrase that goes something like this. Today, May 16th, 1998, I marry my best friend. Was that not on our wedding invitation? Okay, well, <laughs> just, just go with me here, okay? Go with me. But you've seen it, you've seen it. Today, I marry my best friend. I had not even known Beth a year at that time. So whether it was us or another fictional couple, um, that phrase, today I marry my best friend is more of a statement of hope than a fact. Because the truth is, is there's a lot of attraction and engagement and there's often, you know, there's. Sure, there's chemistry and there is this desire to be married, but the friendship is typically very new. And even for those who have been friends for many years, uh, the nature of the relationship changes because of the covenant and because of the wedding. And so the truth is this, is that we're growing in friendship. And we're growing in friendship, which means this, is that our marriage, the best years are always ahead of us. The best years are always in front because God's called us to grow in friendship. And friendship is something we need to study more and look at in context of our spouse. Do Beth and I have separate interests? Tons of them. We're very different people fundamentally, not just by gender, but by personality. But we share common interests and we're building a life together. At this phase of life, Our common interests are basically church and children. I mean, that's kind of it, but the kids won't be with us forever. And so we'll have to find other interests. And we do have lots of common interests, small things that would bore you if I start making a list or something. But the point is this. The point is that your spouse needs to be your best friend and that does not happen by nature of a ceremony you participated in or by a piece of paper you signed. Your spouse becomes your best friend by intentionality, by effort, by common interest, by working through problems, by um, getting over the things that get on your nerves about each other and letting love replace those, by learning how to communicate, by staying in the game, and by finishing the race, by realizing this thing called marriage is a marathon. And the best years are always ahead because we're going to grow in friendship and we're going to grow in compatibility and we're going to change and let the Holy Spirit change us. And so it is that we move forward and we, we try to become better friends and we make sure we become better friends. And so it is that our allop, our companion for life will always be there for us. Here's the last name that I wanna to mention today is our marriages reflect Christ. Our marriages reflect Christ. We live in what I now consider post-Christian America. I consider that because of the morality. I don't care how many people put on the Gallup poll that are are the census say we're Christians. You can tell by the lack of church attendance and the lack of morality, we're in a post-Christian America. And the best way, one of the best ways I won't say the best, let me rephrase that. Of the many, many ways we can show Christ, I believe that healthy, realistic, authentic marriages are one of the best expressions of Christ and one of the best evangelism tools and one of the best gifts we can give to our friends, to our neighborhood, to our city, to the world. Why is that? Ephesians chapter five says this. Ephesians chapter five Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a powerful phrase. Meaning this is that guys, when we're doing our job and I've got a long ways to go, we're doing our job, our marriages, our marriages are an evangelism tool. I mean, people will know who Christ is when we're doing what we're supposed to do in our marriages. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church since we are members of his body the church of indian lake let's value marriages let's care for marriages let's uplift marriages let's encourage each other in our marriage marriages let's do that for all the reasons listed but also with the realization that Christ is exalted and Christ is lifted up and Christ's way is known simply by the love we have towards our spouses and the way we reflect his presence and his glory in our spouses would you stand with me let's all stand I want to pray for you today thank you Jesus